Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. And she sits on the advisory board of the State of California Office of Privacy Protection. She's also a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and the California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on TV on a lot of shows, 48 Hours, Dateline, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, and lots of others. So to learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Evening, Mari. Who's your guest? Well, we are having a wonderful guest who's been on our show a couple times before. He has a new edition on his book. We get to see it and read it and talk to him about it. And he is actually, he's become a friend. I've known him for over 10 years. Evan Hendricks is wonderful. He is the editor and publisher of Privacy Times, which I get. I get it by email and I get it by snail mail. It's a fabulous newsletter on privacy issues. Also, he is the author of several books, including his newest third edition of Credit Scores and Credit Reports, how the system really works and what you can do. And in fact, he has lots of testimonials here, but one of them I thought was great is by a Stephen Broadback, who is executive director of the Consumer Federation of America. And he says, there are a few books I think all consumers should read. This is one of them. It's well-informed, it's informative, and a well-written guide to a subject of great and growing importance to consumers. Everything we do in our life really is subject to our credit reports and to our credit scores, and that's why it's so important that we all read this book and really understand what's going on. Let me tell you a little bit more about Evan. He started publishing his Privacy Times, which is a bi-weekly Washington-based newsletter that reports on privacy and information law, back in 1981. So he was a real pioneer in privacy, and he is really an expert in the Fair Credit Reporting Act, and that is really what governs and really has oversight over the credit reporting agencies and the creditors that we deal with. Evan has researched and written many articles on congressional and state legislative actions, industry trends and actions, executive branch policies, and consumer news as they relate to the Fair Credit Reporting Act. He is qualified to be an expert witness in the federal courts for identity theft in the Fair Credit Reporting Act and privacy cases, and he served as an expert witness in many congressional hearings as well. He has consulted with a lot of private agencies and companies like Experian and also the U.S. Postal Service. 
Besides being author of credit scores and credit reports, how the system really works and what you can do, he also was the author of Your Right to Privacy, A Basic Guide to Legal Rights in an Information Society, and Former Secrets, Government Records Made Public Through the the Freedom of Information Act. Evan also lectures about privacy internationally, and he's considered an expert by the media. He's been on Nightline, World News Tonight, NBC News, CBS Evening News, CNN News, Fox News, MSNBC, and even Oprah and Geraldo. He's quoted frequently by major, small, and large newspapers like the Washington Post, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal. This guy just walks on water, basically. Okay, aside from all this, Evan is really a great guy, wonderful sense of humor, and we're so lucky to have him. And if you want to learn more about him and the Privacy Times, you, you can go to privacytimes.com. Evan, thank you for joining us all the way from Washington, D.C. Well, thanks for having me, Mari. It's a real pleasure to be back on the show. Well, it's so important. You have so much to enlighten us about. Let's, again, review exactly what a credit score is and how it's calculated. Credit score is a three-digit number that shows your credit worthiness at a given period, you know, on that given day. It's based entirely on information in your credit report. Credit score that's used by most lenders is sold and developed by the Fair Isaac Company. It's called the FICO score. And so when you apply for the mortgage or the auto loan or credit card, that FICO score is usually being sold by one of the three big credit bureaus, Experian, Equifax, or TransUnion, uh, to that creditor, and in the case of the mortgage, they they get all three of your credit scores, and because they want to get the entire picture for a credit that big and that extensive. Um, as I said, it's based entirely on information in your credit report, and that's why the book is called Credit Scores and Credit Reports because the score is the number they use to make a judgment on, and it's also really sped up the lending process because it allows computers to talk to computers uh, and then makes it uh, much faster to make decisions about, you know, who should get credit. And more importantly now, uh, we're in an era of risk-based pricing, which what that means is that odds are they're going to find a way to give you credit. But depending first on your credit score, what interest rate will you have to pay? And the fundamental rule is, the better your credit score, the lower interest rates you'll have to pay on mortgages, refinancing, auto loans, and credit cards. And the worse your score is, the more you're going to have to pay. You know, I think a lot of people have misconceptions about their credit scores. I know you gave an example in Chapter 22 in your book about Javier Soler, who worked hard to be a model consumer, and boy, he found out what he thought was going to raise his credit score really lowered it. Why don't you talk about that whole balance of limits and and how that affects our scores? Right. The credit score, uh, there are five major factors that determine your credit score. And the first one is your payment history. And, and we can get into details on that later. But 35% of your score depends on do you pay your bills on time and how recently have you been late and how late. But what you're asking about is the second category, and I think that's the one people know the least about. Exactly. And, and it's 30% of your score. 
it's almost as important as your payment history. And considering how people use credit cards, it's becoming more important because the second category is how maxed out are you on your credit cards. It's taking what are your available credit limits and then what are the balances on your credit card. And the other thing to understand is that the scoring system will score each of your cards individually, and then they'll score a final score calculation uh, done then all collectively. And so if you are, you can never be laid on bills, but if you're maxed out on all your credit cards, you will not have that good of a credit score. And so what we gave that example in Chapter 22 is uh, a young man who was very savvy uh, and was very active in Motley Fool and the other financial discussion boards and was coming out of college paying down his student loans and then starting to pay off his credit cards. Um, but what he discovered uh, by monitoring his credit report was that his credit he was paying the credit cards off, but it wasn't making his score go up. In fact, it had gone down, and part of the reason was is that he had credit cards, in his case with Capital One, where they weren't reporting the credit limits to the credit bureau. And so this all-important uh, calculation of the ratio of the balance between your credit card balances and your credit card limits, if they don't report the limits, then what the computers do is they substitute whatever was your highest balance, and they make that your credit limit. Now, if, if you have like a $3,000 limit on your credit card, but all you've ever used it for is $300, uh, and someone like Capital One doesn't report the credit limits, then that $300 high balance is going to become your credit limit. And if you go up to 200 or 300 you know, every month using that credit card, in reality, you're pretty responsible. But from a credit scoring point of view, it makes it look like you're maxing it out. And that's just one of those quirky little things uh, that can really harm your credit score, and most people don't even know it does. Exactly. And you know what, Evan? They do exactly the opposite. Let's say your credit card company says, they call you and they go, you know, you pay your bills on time and we want to raise your your credit limit to, you know, $40,000. And and then you say, well, wait a minute, I don't want it to $40,000 because I don't want maybe some someone who might be an identity thief to go in and use my credit and use it up to 40000 So I only want it to 4000 and I'm only going to use 4000 well, that may not be the best deal then, because if I use all my available credit, then my my ratio isn't going to be very good. Is that true? Well, right. That's that's right. I mean, for the most part, if they offer to raise your credit limit, and they don't even have to check your credit score to do that, then you, you know, accept all gifts. That that's going to make it easier for you to have a good ratio between your balance to credit limit ratio. So yes. Um, having more available credit and not using it, or at least using it in a very uh, moderate and controlled way, is a, is a good way to keep a good credit score. Right, and most people think the opposite. They think, well, if I don't have much credit out there and I just use what I've got, then I'm going to be fine. Or they'll say, if I don't have any credit cards, you know, if I cancel all my credit cards, won't my credit score go up? What do you say to that? Well, generally wrong, because <laughs> if, you, um, if you have the credit cards, uh, first of all, uh, you get and you, and, and you keep a low balance, then you're going to get, uh, it's going to help your score by having uh, low or zero balances and a high credit limit. So in that 30% category, that's going to be a big boost. 
The uh, third category, which people aren't as aware of, is the length of credit history. And that's 15% of your credit score. And the longer your credit history, the better it is for your your credit score. So if if you close a credit card, you can get dinged in two ways. You can lose that uh, credit utilization ratio, which is your balance and limits, and you can lose points in the length of credit history. And so I've seen cases where people naturally think, well, if, if I've closed my cards, I'm being responsible, I'm showing the system I don't need this credit, and that way I won't be tempted to spend it. So that should make my score go up, right? No. It, it makes it, and I've seen cases where people were, were climbing out of some, you know, bankruptcy or other dire straits and, and getting their score above the 620 subprime level and, and getting up in the 670, 680, and then they close their credit cards and boom, they go shooting down to 630 again. Exactly. So if you want to be responsible, you should have those credit cards for an emergency, but use them sparingly and have a, a large. Uh, if you have a larger credit limit and you don't use it, then you're actually going to have a higher score. Is that right? That's right. You can you can cut up those credit cards, but you don't have to go in and, 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 and close them with the credit card company. If you cut them up, they're still going to be reported because your, your account is still live with that credit card company. Right. And it's probably a good idea to use it just to show that you're using it so they don't close it on you. Because isn't there another issue of whether the consumer closes the credit card or the business closes the credit card? Uh, yes, that can be a factor as well. But either way, once it's closed, then you're you're losing on those two key categories we discussed. Right. I had a credit card that I wasn't using, and I hadn't used it in about two years, and then the company itself closed it. And um, and so that I, I thought I got dinged on that one. So it's probably a good idea if you have it, just use it sparingly just to be able to have it. Now, how many credit cards should people have? Well, there's no magic number on that, um, and it, you know that's why it, every time you ask a question about this, the answer is it depends. I don't know if, you, if your your listeners have seen when they get their uh, their uh, mortgage report, which shows their credit score, and then it lists four factors showing you know why it's your score is not higher than it is. Those are called reason codes, and so to answer your question, I'm saying there's one reason code that says you have too many credit cards, and there's another one that says, you know, you don't have enough revolving credit, which means you don't have enough credit cards. Right, right. So, I mean, I, people can have, depending on the length of their credit history and, and how they manage their credit, people can have 8 to 12, even 15 credit cards, and it's not going to hurt their score. Uh, it's, it's, uh, but obviously, if you have, if you're just starting out, you want to build up, get that first credit card, and work to have, you know, make sure you have, you know, two and three credit cards. Uh, to show that's part of your portfolio, because the fourth factor of your credit score is called the the, the mix of credit. What kind of do you have the what they call the proper mix of credit? And that's kind of a mysterious category. But generally, what they're talking about, they they like people to have credit cards, a mortgage, possibly an auto loan. You know, something that shows that they're they're getting mainstream credit as opposed to going to storefront finance companies. Right. Right. So, yeah, I usually tell people at least that I know, you know, when they say, well, I'm not going to have any credit cards. I tell them they're crazy. And, you know, I, I think I use four. You know, I have two, two that I use basically for business and the other two are personal. And I thought if I ever get stuck and one, there's fraud on one account, I can use another credit card if I need to. If I, you know, my car breaks down or something, I'd be, I, I can't rent a car without a, a credit card. So it's kind of an important thing to have, I think, three or four credit cards at least. Yes, yeah, I, I, I agree 100%. So we were, you were talking a few minutes about subprime. 
talk about the scores like that. That's been a huge issue is the subprime mortgages. Let's talk about that because that's been that was in the news recently, right on the front page of the Orange County Register about all these subprime loans and mortgages. Well, yeah, this is this is the headline grabber these days is that with the home values rising, um, they could get a lot, uh, you know, fast and loose and easy on credit for mortgages because if something went wrong, the value of the house would be going up and you could just sell it and pay off your, your mortgage that way. And, of course, now whatever goes up must come down, just like the dot-com bubble from the 1990s. You know, the home prices have started to fall and fall dramatically in some places. And so what they did is these loans, subprime or non-conforming loans, um, you know, before they started, they started getting very creative in how they would do loans. And so they would make it so people didn't have to put any money down, um, that they didn't have to document their uh, earnings as, as thoroughly. And that, and then, then based on the credit score, they would give them a, a rate, you know, uh, something that would start for one or two, maybe three years at a low rate. But then it would, uh, by that second year, it was called an arm, it would go, the rate would jump dramatically. And, of course, when times were good, people would say, oh, that's all right, I can just refinance before the rate jumps. And there are many people that were doing that. They were called serial refinancers. Uh, but then all that comes to a screeching halt once the, the home prices start falling. And then so a lot of people are stuck with these subprime loans uh, that are jumping or about to jump interest rate levels to, to the point where the people can't afford them. And so that's why you have, you know, and this is not just in, you know, inner city poor neighborhoods anymore. There's some really those nice su- suburban or what we call exurban tracks, you know, with these modern houses uh, where people uh, were were buying these homes, and and because of these loans, there's uh, a lot of for, uh, new highs and the number of foreclosures that are going on, and people being forced to walk away from houses. Right, and you and I were talking that recently in the paper, they uh, they were reporting that a high number of these subprime loans and people almost losing their houses for foreclosure are people who are. You know, AARP members, you know, and uh, people over 50 years old or 55 years old, and they're suggesting that they get a reverse mortgage. What do you think about that? Oh, I, you know, it's, it's uh, one of those Faustian bargains where you've just got this horrible choice. Um, either risk getting foreclosed on and having no place to live or take a reverse mortgage out where you pretty much are giving the house over uh, to the lending institution, so you still have a place to live. Uh, you know, and that's sort of um, the re- it's the reverse of the whole uh, ownership society that that and the, the dream of owning your own home. And it and it like you mentioned, it's hitting people in their sunset years. So uh, it's a particularly bitter pill to swallow. Yeah. So when, let me ask you a question. When you were talking about companies like Capital One, and I think you even mentioned American Express doesn't always report the um, the credit limit. Is there something, you know, are you suggesting that Congress pass a law that every creditor must report the credit limit so that our scores are re- a reality? Yeah, I think that, that the, the sensible policy is that if you report to a credit and, and people should understand, 
that's all it's all voluntary in a sense uh, creditors don't have to report they all do for their own reasons in part also if you don't pay your bills and they report it to the credit bureau then you're not going to get any more credit until you pay that bill but we think the simple sensible rule should be that if you report if you're a creditor like Merrick Express or Capital One, you report to the credit bureaus, you have to report fully and fairly, and that includes reporting those credit limits. So is that pending right now in the legislature? Uh, no, there's, I mean, there's nothing, I mean, right now, they're headed, Congress is heading into its last year, right. and there's nothing serious afoot on that, which is why the burden on, in this area of credit scores and credit reports, the burden is on the consumer to know how the system works and how it affects you because uh, to not know that you're sort of left at its mercy. And the other thing that came out recently in the Wall Street Journal, we picked this up in Privacy Times, is that the majority of people with subprime loans did not have subprime credit scores. Now, sometimes that's because people wanted to get a loan quickly. They didn't want to have to, they wanted a no-document loan where they didn't have to prove their employment and all that stuff. So that way they took a subprime loan for that reason. But a lot of cases, you can bet, since subprime loans were more profitable for both some mortgage lenders and some brokers, that people were going in and because they didn't know their score and they didn't know really what the, what the, what the score was, uh, they were getting steered into loans that were less advantageous to them. And again, they were they were easy to manipulate that way in in a way that was detrimental to them because they didn't know uh, how the credit scoring system worked. Yeah, and not only did they not know how the credit scoring system worked, but they also didn't really have any transparency in what was really going to happen with those loans. What if they couldn't refinance, you know? And and that's what that was a real problem, too, is they just don't even know. I think it's pretty tough. It's overwhelming for most consumers, isn't it, Evan? Oh, yes. Uh, it's, it can be very overwhelming. Well, this is exactly why everybody who's listening should get a hold of credit scores and credit reports, how the system really works, what you can do. We're talking with the author, Evan Hendricks, who also happens to be the publisher of Privacy Times. That's a newsletter that I get, and I read it because I want to know exactly what's happening in the legislature and with credit scores and credit reports. So let me ask you another thing. What about now with everybody worried about their credit scores going down and all the, you know, high uh, debt that they're going into, what do you think about these credit repair companies and credit counselors? What about all that? Well, you have to be very careful because there, uh, there are some credit repair companies that have been around for a while and there's a very strict law regulating them, and they, these companies must be complying with that law. Otherwise, they'd be getting sued all the time. But it's, it's really hard to know because most of the time they don't want to talk to people like me who you know, try and research and publish what's going on. So they're very secretive. Um, but there's also clearly been plenty of credit repair outfits that are just scam artists and make all sorts of outrageous claims that they have some magic secret disk that can you know, fix all your credit problems um, with a, you know, one stroke. And those are, those are just shysters that take your money. Um, so you really have to do your homework there uh, and investigate. Because when you go to credit repair, you're committing, um, you know, a monthly uh, a setup fee. And then at the end of each month, you're, you're getting billed for, you know, $59 a month or something. Uh, and so, uh, you know, and we have a chapter on credit repair. where We, we, we report on some of those companies that have been busted by the feds and the states. 
attorney generals, and then we list a couple companies that that were did allow us in the doors to interview them and to see how they operated. And so we 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 told about them too as being seemingly uh, actually ethical credit repair. So uh, yeah, you have to you have to be very careful. You keep an open mind, but be very careful. Uh, now, credit counseling is. Can be a different matter because most people understand that even though credit counseling uh, shops are usually considered nonprofits, a lot of times they're funded one way or the other by the credit industry, and their main role is basically to serve as collectors uh, for the credit industry. And they also will uh, consolidate or handle your credit payments in a way that's not, you know, maximizing advantage to your credit score or helping repair your credit score as fast as they could if they were more knowledgeable about it. So again, it's an, an area where you you have to be very careful, and uh, we explore that in that chapter. Right. Now it's terrific. So talking about credit scores, a lot of people don't realize how often our credit report is used and for what purpose. They think about it only in maybe getting a loan or a mortgage. Evan, we're sitting here in the campus of the University of California, Irvine, and people are not only are there business people driving by, but, you know, there's a lot of students here, and they're getting credit offers all the time. What, what do they need to know about how their credit report and their credit scores are going to be used? Uh, well, first of all, credit reports are increasingly being used in employment, job applications, uh, because the Fair Credit Reporting Act basically gives three areas that you're legal to use your credit report for. Uh, employment, insurance and uh, credit, of course. And so there are people who, uh, when you apply for a job, that's the one time they have to get your consent first. Uh, but if you're applying for a job, you're usually not in a position to say no if you want to get that job. So it's kind of a sense of, of coerced consent. And so jobs, it can affect your job or whether you get one. If you're in, there's a huge, you know, we have a huge... Um, military sector, and I know in Southern California there's a lot of defense contractors, uh, if you get a security clearance, I've seen a lot of cases where uh, because of errors on people's credit reports, it started interfering with their security clearance, and for the kind of job they have, if they don't have a, they can't keep the security clearance, they can't keep their job. Right. Uh, so that's a huge issue. Uh, then the other thing is that people have to understand that in, in many states, insurance, uh, uh, auto insurance and homeowner's insurance relies heavily on credit scores, and their credit scores aren't exactly the same as the kind mortgage lenders use, but they're very similar. They're based on some of the same factors that we outline in, you know, chapters one through three of our book, and also uh, we have uh, separate chapters on auto insurance, and and, uh, and we show the matrix used by one insurance company, which showed that sometimes credit scores can be more important to what rate you pay for insurance, auto insurance, than your driving history. Uh, that's how, because the auto insurance industry feels that people with low insurance scores, uh, low credit scores, are going to be more likely to cause losses to that insurance company. Is there any real reliable data to show that that's true? Um, each time that someone has taken a look at it, uh, they claim that the data does back up the fact that people with lower scores on, you know, in, in a very global way, uh, uh, it's, the data seems to back it up, but it's there's even some of those studies are challenged, and this is a fierce debate that's roaring on. And so it's not going to change any time in the short term. It's just one more example how the burden is on 
each of us individuals to understand this is how it works and, and so we know what to do. How about all the errors? You know, since these credit credit scores are based on our credit reports and since our credit reports are used for everything from getting a job to getting a car to getting an apartment to getting a house, how accurate are these credit reports and what kind of errors can hurt us? Well, I mean, if you're the lucky type, you have pretty accurate credit report. Um, I get I get invited to be an expert witness in case for those unlucky people uh, that find that there are major errors uh, that are dragging down their credit score and interfering with their ability to get credit at the rate they deserve. And there's just been a history of studies that have come out since the early 1990s all the way up till you know, 2004 and 2005 that have found a consistent rate of inaccuracy in credit reports. Uh, people are, are, people are, two people are mixed together. Um, information isn't updated, so something you paid off is a mistake, and it shows that it, it's, it's uh, not paid off, or your insurance company didn't do your copay at the doctor, and the doctor sent you to collection when it really wasn't your fault. These are all sorts of things that can be really devastating to someone's credit score. And the, the, the thing is, when you find an error on your report, under the law, you dispute it, either in writing or uh, by telephone, a toll-free number, or even online. And they're supposed to investigate and then, and then respond within 30 days. The problem is, is that their system for investigating the three major credit bureaus, Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion, they want to automate that system for handling disputes as much as possible. And the fact of the matter is, for the more complex disputes where you have errors in your credit report because you're getting mixed with someone with a similar name and social security number, or identity theft has, has occurred and they, all the thieves' bad debts are going on your credit report, sometimes these credit bureaus do not do a good job investigating and they end up, you would dispute it, and they contact the credit grantor and say, is this what you reported before? And the credit grantor says, yep, that's what we reported before. And then the credit bureau tells the, the poor consumer, well, verified as reported. Right. And, you know, and, then, and then so I get involved in these cases where the only way people have a chance of getting their credit report corrected is by filing a federal lawsuit. And that's not easy either. Right. And they have to get an attorney to be able to take their case. Yep. Now, let me ask you something. What, in the, when they're in reinvestigating, what about outsourcing? Aren't the three credit bureaus doing some outsourcing to other countries, too? Oh, yeah. They're, like most companies, they're uh, outsourcing to uh, India, the Philippines, uh, Costa Rica, and, and in some instances, Canada, uh, because they're trying to lower their costs. So uh, what it, it just all supports the view that this is a very rote process where, you know, sometimes when you send in a dispute, someone really has to look at your dispute letter or listen to your dispute, and they have to think about it. Uh, and unfortunately, that's what's missing in these cases where something goes wrong and someone disputes something over and over for a couple of years and they still can't get it corrected. And do you think that the outsourcing has an, a great impact on that? I, I think the outsourcing has just uh, continued uh, the problem and, and, and basically helped cement the problem in place because the, the people in the other countries who don't even, haven't even grown up with our credit reporting system they're just trained to be like the like robots and not really to think and and because the the law says that when you dispute it they have to reinvestigate and reinvestigate to you and me and most of your listeners means 
you have to carefully consider it, diagnose the problem, and then take what steps necessary is to get to the underlying truth. And in and, and these cases, no, it's just like reduce the consumer's dispute to a two-digit code, not mine or fraud, and then electronically beam that code to the credit grantor who reported the information. And the credit grantor, you know, looks at it and says, you know, well, that's what we reported before, and there's no real investigation that goes on. So the outsourcing, uh, again, just... It contributes to the lack of reflection and the automation of the whole process. Yeah, it exacerbates it. Yeah. So, Evan, as an expert witness in these cases, wouldn't would you suggest that people write actual letters instead of doing it by phone? Do a letter return receipt requested with that they send and that they really lay out the whole situation clearly? Absolutely. If you have a serious error on your credit report, like someone else's debt is is on there and, and you got to think on payment that first category we talked about your payment history what really matters the most is it is it less than a year old or less than two years old if it's it's a recent major debt like 90 days late or a collection that thing really slams your credit score so if you have a major uh, issue on that um, do in writing return receipt requested there's been many cases where the credit bureaus have claimed well we never received your dispute right uh, so yeah do that and ke- open a folder and, and track everything. Um, the system works the way it's supposed to. That's going to get fixed in 30 days. Unfortunately, in too many cases, the system doesn't work the way it's supposed to, and it's the burden is on you to document what you've done to dispute it. And then once you've done that, then the burden shifts to them. You know, and that's why, you know, it, it, it seems kind of ludicrous, but we're getting in, you know, I've been in these cases over the last couple of years where juries have come back with $200,000 awards, $350,000 awards for consumers that couldn't get their credit report fixed. And, and, and just in Florida in December of 2007, a jury came back with a $2.7 million punitive damage award uh, against Equifax because it was pretty obvious that this woman was getting mixed with somebody else. She told them over and over they didn't fix it, and, and this was the same sort of mixed file problem that was causing problems for consumers in 1991. Uh, so the, the punitive damages is to punish and detour from doing it again, and we'll see if it works out that way. Evan, can you talk to my audience a bit and help them understand how they should read those credit reports and what they should look for then? Yeah, that's a great question, because in, in, our, in the book Credit Scores and Credit Reports, we have the, the fourth chapter is on how to obtain your report. It shows you all, you know, all the ways that you're entitled to a free report. And so that's why when you see the commercial on TV, freecreditreport.com, uh, that's not it. Right, <laughs> That's right. where they, they, they get you to get it. You get it, you get it instantly, but you have to give your credit card number, and if you forget to cancel after 29 days, your credit card gets charged until you finally do remember to cancel, and that can go on for a long time as many of us forget to cancel on those. It's called a negative option. So freecreditreport.com is not where you get your free credit report. Yeah, now I thought that that was considered deceptive advertising. Didn't the FTC do something about that? What yeah. happened? Why are they allowing them to say still have those commercials? Well, that's a bit mystery to me, but I think the uh, FTC, you know, they slapped them on the Federal Trade Commission, slapped them on the wrist, but then they, uh, they basically just said, oh, you just have to tell consumers that they, they can get their free credit report at the real place, which is called annual creditreport.com. But they don't say that in the television commercials. They certainly don't. So it's More I'm not, the radio. So, yeah, we're saying it here. That is not where you want to get. You want to go to annualcreditreport.com. That's the one that's set up 
from the uh, Fair and Accurate Credit Transactions Act. Right. That's on your federal law. gives you the free right. So don't fall for freecreditreport.com. That's just enriching, uh, you know, one of the major credit bureaus. Now, you asked about how to read them. And so we have a chapter on how to obtain it, a chapter on how to read it, and a chapter on how to dispute it. Uh, the chapter on how to read it, um, you know, tell, explains that there are three, or if you're unlucky, four sections to a credit report. Um, the first section is your identifying information. You want to make sure that it's your name, your former name, your address, your former addresses, uh, and your date of birth and your Social Security number, which is really crucial because the credit bureaus figure out what information to put in your credit report, and the Social Security number is it's heavily weighted on the Social Security number. So if your Social Security number is wrong or it turns out to be like one digit different than somebody else, then that's when mixed files occur. The second section is your payment history. That's, you know, and also, you know, sometimes people, if your name is misspelled, that might even be identity theft. So anything that's wrong in that credit header could be a, a red flag for you, right? Right. I mean, you, and you have a right to dispute any item. And so if it's wrong, tell them. You know, tell yeah. them. And, and then the thing about the identifying information is they're, they're a little easier about correcting that because it's not, you know, it's, it, it's not something that the creditors really feel strongly about. But the second section is your credit history. Yep. That's, you know, you showed you got the credit cards, how long have you had it, uh, what's your balance, what's your limit. Hopefully it shows what's your limit. We discussed how sometimes they don't. But you have your mortgages and, uh, and your auto loans and just all the types of credit you have can be on your credit report because all the creditors are free to report that, and most of them do. Now the, now the utilities companies don't until it goes into court. They do not yeah. report, right, but there, there's a move afoot to try and get them to do that. So. Yeah, they seem to only report when it goes into collections. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, and so uh, you know, the thing is the unpaid bills can pay stay on your credit report uh, for seven years. So if you, you paid it off, uh, but it's still six years ago you paid it off, it could still be on your credit report. After seven years, it's supposed to drop off, and most of the time it does. It's coded that way. The thing to understand from a credit scoring point of view, if it's if it's four years old or older, it usually doesn't hurt your credit score that much. Um, so that second section is your uh, payment history. The third section shows the inquiries. Who who has accessed your credit report? And are they accessed it because you applied for credit? And that's the last section of your credit scoring we haven't talked about. That's 10% of your credit score. Are you know how how much have you applied for credit? How recently? Now, there's a second kind of uh, uh, category of inquiries that does not affect your credit score, and those are either the promotional inquiries, which result in you getting a credit card, a so-called pre-approved credit card offer in the mail, or your existing credit card companies and others doing an account review. And what that means is they're checking your credit score every month to make sure that your credit score doesn't suddenly go south and then... Um, you know, show that you're becoming a greater risk all of a sudden. And I guess the thing to mention here is that if, you know, as all these credit card companies every month do an account review, there are some, half the credit card companies, they see if your credit score drops too far too fast, then they will raise your interest rate, uh, even if you've never been late with them or had any problem with them because they just see you as a greater risk. 
Yeah, and that doesn't seem fair at all because if that could be fraud. <laughs> right. You know, the other stuff on your credit report could actually be fraud or a mixed file or some other problem that has nothing to do with you. So if you're paying that bill, I mean, I remember even when I was a victim of identity theft, I was paying all my bills, I was paying my mortgage, and yet my imposter stuff was appearing in collections. So that was like a, you know... Like we've talked about Evil Twin, you know, it was like a totally different profile from my profile that sat alongside with mine. Yes, no, and, and I've seen it happen where because of identity theft or mixed file, people's credit scores have dropped and their credit card companies have raised their interest rate uh, because of it. It's called, you know, but when they, when they, when they raise your, your interest rates uh, based on your credit score, that's called universal default. In other words, you, you, you went bad one place, so we're going to hit you here. And, and that's okay for them to do? There's no... There's well, it's very controversial, and it's so controversial that I believe uh, several months ago Citibank announced they were going to stop doing that. Uh-huh. Um, but there's no law prohibiting it. Or, or let's say you had some kind of health challenge, you know, and so something went wrong because of your health challenge or you had all these health bills that went into collection. I mean, I I had a client who had an aneurysm. And so she had all these health challenges with certain bills and not with others. And uh, she was paying her credit cards and paying her mortgage. But because of all this mix up with her medical bills, um, it was causing great havoc in her whole credit score. Yeah, it's, um, and then people don't understand that, uh, I might not have heard that a primary cause of driving people into bankruptcy uh, are, you know, emerge, un- unforeseen emer- emergency medical emergencies. Right, and, right. And then another major cause of inaccuracies in credit reports, according to some studies, are uh, the medical collections that occur when there's confusion between who's supposed to be paying the copay. Exactly, exactly. Or medical identity theft. I've seen that, too. Oh, yes. Yeah. Is there secret data in our credit reports? There are some that's yeah, we don't know as much about that as we'd like to, but in the because book it's secret, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the whole point. But they do have codes that attach to certain data, so they though, so they flag like what is the most serious derogatory information in your report going back the last 24 months, which is two years. Um, so they have little things like that, uh, which are codes that I've discovered these things exist, but you don't really have a right to get them because it's not the kind of the raw data that, you know, is about you. It's a code that sort of flags your data. Uh, but the, the other side of that, Mari, is that um, if because of the algorithms used by the credit bureaus, um, they, they tolerate dis- discrepancies. So, you know, if, if that's why they have mixed files. If there's one digit difference in the social security number, even two uh, digits different. They they think it's a transposition, and they think it's the same person, and they mix information together. And so they'll sell when they sell a credit report to a credit grantor. You know, when someone's applied for credit, they want to make sure that all possible information is included in that report, so they don't take the chance of missing out on anything. And then you contrast that when you request your own report. They use a very precise you know, matching of nine to nine and make sure they only, and they only disclose to you information that they're pretty sure is about you. And so this is a long-winded way of explaining that sometimes people will get their, ask for their own credit report, everything will look fine, 
And then when they apply for credit, that fatter file is sold to the creditor because the algorithms are mixing more information on some other person in that you don't get when you ask for your own file. You know, so that, Evan, becomes that, a, yeah. that becomes a secret file in a sense. You know, that is a huge issue. Years ago when I was a victim of identity theft, I was um, getting my own credit reports, and then I would demand from these creditors that they provide me the credit report that they use to issue the credit to the fraudster. And I was comparing, and these things were not the same at all. And there were things like certain, like a hawk alert or, you know, different alerts on there that I didn't even know what they meant. And I, ha I remember going before Congress to testify and saying, it's, uh, and, and in the California legislature saying, we should have a law that requires that the credit reporting agencies provide the exact same report to the consumer as they do to the creditor. And that got nowhere. Right. <laughs> Why? Why? <laughs> well, the, I mean, the, the, the credit granters have an incredible... I mean, you think what you're talking about. You're talking about huge credit card companies, uh, which are the, the biggest the biggest banks, you know, the Bank of America and Wachovia and, and American Express, uh, you know, and, and, and you throw in the mortgage industry and, and others, it's just a very powerful lobby. And it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's amazing that we've accomplished as much as we have. Uh, we have the Fair Credit Reporting Act is a pretty good law, and it's a pretty good law for consumers. Um, but examples like this show that, you know, getting something that's, against the interests of uh, the credit card companies is tougher. It's, it's the, you know, people just don't give up. If they have power, they don't just give up stuff that makes it easier for others to, to stand up to them. Right. And thank God the consumers have you, and I'm going to tell who you are to my audience. We're speaking with Evan Hendricks, who is a wonderful consumer advocate, a, a brilliant privacy expert, and he is the editor and publisher of Privacy Times, which is a newsletter that, that I have gotten for about the last 10 years. He's also the author of his uh, book called Credit Scores and Credit Reports, How the System Really Works and What You Can Do. And this is his third edition. This is the newest edition that he has, and that's available at privacytimes.com. And we're finding out all the little secrets. It's not easy to understand all this stuff, Evan. Shouldn't there be transparency? Oh, yes. I mean, the, you know, the, see, controlling, having control over your own personal information is a very important part of protecting your privacy. And the irony is to, to do that, the first thing you need is transparency. You need to understand um, what companies uh, collect what kinds of information about you and how do they use it and how do they sell it. And, and the Fair Credit Reporting Act uh, attempts to do that in the credit reporting uh, realm, but we don't have all those same rights in relation to a lot of other types of companies that collect information about us. Right. Now, you, you've been an expert on a lot of uh, Fair Credit Reporting Act cases. What has happened recently with recent court cases dealing with identity theft? Well, with identity theft, there's been... Um, uh, cases, uh, you know, in, uh, throughout 2007, there was a series of cases where uh, the innocent consumer found their victim of identity theft. They would found that the thief had generated all these bad debts that had gone on to their credit report. They would dispute them with one or more of the credit reporting agencies, and it seemed like there was always one credit reporting agency that w could not take it off, 
and continue to include the fraudsters' uh, bad debts. And then there sometimes there would be creditors that would not stop reporting or would refuse to uh, correct it or instruct credit bureaus to correct it when the consumer disputed. So these got to be federal court cases tried in front of federal juries. And uh, in in three cases over the last year and a half or so, a jury has come come out with at least two hundred thousand in actual damages uh, awards for the consumers, and that also includes. And, and on top of that, the uh, the attorney wins his attorney's fees because these cases take hours and hours of you know trying to get the documents and then sifting through them. Uh, and so you know you you see that this is going on. But the other thing you see is that that none of those kind of cases are enough to get the credit bureaus to change their uh, operations and to become more consumer-friendly uh, as of yet. they So far, they've just made the calculation that they write that off as a cost of doing business, and they're very stubborn about not wanting to change their ways of doing things, which is the same way they've been doing things since, say, 1990, before identity theft was even on the scene. And that's because their lobbyists are are making sure that the uh, the legislators are going to dinner and doing all sorts of fun stuff. Well, I, I, yeah, I think I think I mean I think the law is pretty good. The law gives people a right to get to get punitive damages. And then this one case, which was in in Florida in two thousand seven in December, just a little while ago. Is that ago. the Sloan case? Yeah. The, no, this was the um, the Williams case. Angela Williams is the one where there's a two point seven million verdict. Uh, the Sloan case is Suzanne Sloan. She went in to have a baby. The hospital employee stole her identity, Shavana Sloan, and then went for a joyride on her name. And, you know, Equifax for almost two years couldn't get Suzanne Sloan's credit report fixed. And she's the one that had a $351,000 uh, verdict, uh, 106000 for economic damages, and 245000 for emotional distress damages because it was pretty much tearing up her marriage. Um, and 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 so, you know, when people juries hear these stories, they they definitely understand that uh, it's an actual and real damage to have your life ruined by having your good name destroyed by inaccurate credit reports. So, but the thing is, unless it moves to the level of punitive damages, which the juries have not found in some of those cases, uh, in in some cases they found punitive damages. In the Florida case, they did 2.7 million in punitive damages. And in another case uh, against TransUnion, they found $5 million in punitive damages. What, when was that? Uh, the TransUnion case was 2001, mm-hmm. and the judge reduced the punitive right. award to down to $1 million, And best we can tell, TransUnion hasn't changed. You know, it's still doing to other consumers what it did to that consumer who won that case. Hmm. And so to me, it's, it's, this is not a question of legislation or lobbying as much as it is a question of the, the, the company's uh, have made the calculation that they're doing just fine the way they do now, and they don't want to change, and they're not going to change until they're hit hard enough that they they finally have to. So you think that the the damages aren't hurting them enough? Well, I mean, yeah, if, if it's not making them change, it's by definition in my book, it's not hurting them enough. Mm-hmm. And they've you know they've come after these they've lose these cases and they come out and they still say oh, no, we, we even though we did the same thing, we're not admitting we did anything wrong. Um, so uh, the, I, again, it's, these are, these are huge, sophisticated companies and I think they've made the calculation and I think, you know, from their point of view, they're right. Yeah. You know, yeah. They're, they're also kind of like naughty children, you know, <laughs> unless, 
unless you really put the boot on their neck, they're going to keep squirming around and doing the wrong thing. Right, right. So if, if let's say that someone sees something on their credit report that, or some things on their credit reports that look weird, how do they know if it's identity theft or a merged file? I get lots of calls where people aren't sure if, it, if they're victims of identity theft or if it's some kind of a merged file. Right, and, and I suppose sometimes it's neither, but the, the identity theft usually follows the pattern where there's suddenly, in a short period of time, a lot of collections and charge-offs are hitting the credit report. Um, and it's funny because, you know, how our credit card companies will have pattern recognition software. So if all of a sudden, you know, we've always lived in California, but then you're in Eastern Europe on vacation, you, you get that call, like, this is an unusual pattern. Right. I mean, and, and, and it's, it's kind of predictable in identity theft that you'll sometimes get that, that rush of charges. And that's one indication of identity theft. But the, the credit bureaus themselves don't use any sort of pattern recognition software. Even, even after you dispute it and say, I'm a victim of fraud, they still won't look at it that way. They just won't analyze it that carefully. Well, don't they have a neural network for their own customers, though, for, the, for, the, um, for all the creditors? Don't they say little alerts that they have? I've seen some of those alerts. They have services they sell, like the things like the Hawk Alert, which right, is say right. that, you know, this has been screened for fraud. Uh, those are all services that they, they sell, but they don't apply them in the consumer's interest to assure maximum possible accuracy. Right, unless you get credit monitoring from the credit bureaus. So, so what do you think about credit monitoring with the credit bureaus as opposed to maybe American Express or some of the other uh, companies? Well, I, 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 th- I mean, it's, I think... I, I like the idea of credit monitoring that you're basically plugged into your credit report and that you receive alerts, you know, when there's a change in your credit report. Uh, I just think that they what they charge for it, I mean, considering this is information about you, uh, I, I think this, this should be something that's at a much, much lower cost, so everyone's encouraged to do it, as opposed to, you know, paying like over $100 a year. Uh, to, to, to monitoring your own information, but even though I got to admit it's 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 still worth it. Um, but I, fairness would dictate since this is our information, why should why should we have to pay them for our information to make sure they don't screw up our information? <laughs> I know it seems ridiculous. And the other thing is, if you get credit monitoring with the actual credit bureaus, their their policies have that you basically give up your right to sue. You can only arbitrate. Right. So, they want to get signed one of those devilish arbitration clauses, which, you know, again, it's, it's you're waiving your constitutional rights when you do that. And, of course, most of the time you don't even read the fine print to know you're doing it. Yeah, people don't even realize it. So that's why I tell people. You know, I use American Express. I use their credit monitoring because I do think it's a good idea to be able to go in online and check and see what my credit score is if I'm going to, you know, try and get a new car or something. I want to see what is my credit score, and I want to see it immediately. And I want to bring that in with me when I go to the card dealer and say, I just pulled this today. Here it is. You know, I have a great score. I want to get a great price. Well, yes. And, and it's also, you know, California brought us the first law that you got notified when there was a breach of your data. And so when you get those notices that, oh, you know, we're a company, you're our customer, but we messed up and somebody, you know, your data was leaked or compromised. And, and what they often do is offer credit monitoring service as, you know, a way of saying we're sorry. And if that ever happens, take them up on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Accept all gifts. Well, Lloyd is telling me we have about three minutes. Can you give us, like, the top five things that we can do as consumers 
to improve our credit scores? Yes. Uh, monitor your credit report regularly, just like you change the batteries on your smoke detector. Uh, preferably twice a year. If you've got the time, do it more. Take advantage of your free credit report rights. Uh, to uh, give what, that website again? Yeah, and annualcreditreport.com. And then you can also get the toll-free number there and order it over the phone and have the hard copy sent to your house if you don't want to get it online or if you have difficulty getting it online. Um, the thing is to look in your credit report, look to make sure the information is accurate, make sure that there's no debts on there that don't belong to you. Um, make sure that you do everything you can to keep your balances low on your credit cards. Uh, and to the extent that you can pay off credit cards and have a zero balance, that's even better. So the the lower those balances are, the closer they are towards zero, the more it's going to help your uh, credit score. And you have to check to make sure on your credit report that your credit card company is reporting your credit limit. Now, wait a second. I have a question. If they aren't, can you just call them and demand, or should you write them and say, I want my credit limit to be listed on my credit report? Yeah, if, you, if they're not, the credit limit's not there, then you, you write the credit bureau and say, this is wrong. The number you have is my high balance uh, or, or credit limit should be my credit limit, which is this, X, Y, Z. And then you, you CC, you copy that to the credit card company and demand that they, uh, they reinvestigate it. Basically, You're disputing it, basically, and telling them to reinvestigate it and get it right. Okay. And mm -hmm. once you do that, then you're kind of shifting the burden to them. I mean, if they want to keep doing it after that, there's, you know, they could be incurring liability depending on how the courts respond to this. And, and some of this stuff is pending in courts right now. There's a huge class action on this. Um, and Capital One has announced that they're going to change their ways, and I'm, I'm not sure, you know, if they really will or when they will, but... This is, it is an ongoing controversy. It is. It's a deceptive practice not to put that in there. Right. And so the other thing is make sure that, you know, in most cases, don't close your credit cards. Right. Uh, unless, you know, you, they really made you mad and you don't want to be their customer anymore. But or there's fraud. Or if there's been <laughs> there's fraud. fraud. Yeah. But if, if, if you're, from a credit scoring point of view, closing your credit card accounts so they no longer show up as active on your credit report can make your, your score go lower. Uh, the other thing is don't worry too much about inquiries uh, unless they're an inquiry showing that somebody else has got credit in your name. That's a huge thing. But other inquiries do not affect your credit score all that much. Okay, very good. So we don't have much time, but I want you to tell people uh, your book again and how they can get your newsletter and uh, your website. Yes, thanks, Mari. Um, you can get information about the book, which we've been talking about for the last hour, creditscoresandcreditreports.com. That's www.creditscoresandcreditreports.com. That's all spelled out and plural. And then my newsletter, which has just started its 28th year, mm. is called privacytimes.com. And so that's www.privacytimes.com. Well, Evan Hendricks, you are my hero. You okay. are wonderful. We appreciate you so much. Keep up the great work in our new year, and we will talk to you again next year. Thanks so much for having me, Mari. Okay, we'll see you later. Okay, bye-bye. You, bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. You've been listening to Evan Hendricks, who is the publisher of Privacy Times and the author of Credit Scores and Credit Reports. Please join us every Wednesday at Privacy Privacy right here at KUCI.org or 88.9 FM in Irvine. Thank you, Lloyd, for being a great engineer, and have a good night. See you next Wednesday. The opinions and views
views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.